Good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to Counterbalance Radio, a progressive Christian talk show featuring Beth Minhusen and myself, Richard Randolph, as co-host. Beth and I are both pastors at Christ Connection Point United Methodist Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are one church in two locations with two very different personalities, but a shared commitment to acting inclusively, seeking God, serving others, and doing justice. Good morning, Beth. How are you? Good morning, Richard. I'm doing well. Uh, At Christ Connection Point, we're striving to welcome and affirm all people because we believe that all of us are created in the image of God and loved by God for who they are. Uh, For more information about our church, you can visit ChristUMCLINC.org or ConnectionPointLNK.org. Today, our program focuses on rapid advances in the science of genetics. You know, it's been nearly 20 years since we successfully mapped the human genome. And since that historic breakthrough in science, the field of genetics has literally exploded with new discoveries, new procedures, and new possibilities for shaping and managing genetics. While much of these advances will help improve people's lives, the sheer technological power that we are developing with these techniques and these breakthroughs raises important ethical concerns and Mm -hmm. challenges. And I would argue that these advances may also have important theological implications for the ways in which Christians understand what it means to be human persons created in the image of God. We begin our exploration of genetics this morning with an interview that Richard and I recorded uh, earlier this week, uh, where we were able to talk with Dr. Marnie Gelbart, who is the program director with the Personal Genetics Education Program at Harvard Medical School. Um, The interview is about 30 minutes long, so we'll we'll play that for you and you'll hear what Marnie has to say about genetics. Uh, And we'll be back uh, when it's over to discuss some of the implications uh, of her work. Welcome, Marnie. We'd like to begin with having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work as the director of the Personal Genetics Education Project. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm a scientist. I'm a geneticist by training. And and our field of genetics has been moving so quickly. The technological leaps um, are making new tools and new information available um, to many, many people. And so um, our group, the Personal Genetics Education Project, I'm the director of programs, we formed in the Department of Genetics at Harvard Medical School um, back in 2006 um, so that as these new technologies come out into, into the hands of society, that people have information about the potential benefits um, and the, the ethical questions around these these new technologies. So really thinking about the application. Um, I'm, for me personally, I'll say that that my transition from um, working at at the bench as a scientist to coming to PG Ed was when I was pregnant with my older daughter and going through genetic testing myself mm-hmm. and realizing what a gift I had to have information so that I could ask questions of my physician. And so for me, that personal transition was wanting more people just to have to, to feel like they've heard about some of this genetic stuff before so that if it enters their world, right. you know, ahead of these moments where they may, you know, they're in a, in a doctor's office in, 
in a gown, um, that they can speak up and ask questions of, to guide their own care. Absolutely. Right. That's, that's really so important for uh, patients to have that type of uh, ed- education and, and background. Um, so, um, Marnie, um, many of uh, our listeners uh, remember genetics from high school biology. Um, in fact, um, when uh, I was talking with Beth about the, the uh, about this program, uh, her response was, "Oh, genetics is so cool! I remember in high school when we worked with Putnet box squares to predict inheritance traits." And uh, <laughs> I sort of laughed and said, "Well, Beth, it's gone a lot further than." Than, than those just those squares these days and uh so then um beth had a, a much um, more advanced genetics training uh in our college course uh, here at the university of uh, nebraska but um w- could you give us a just uh for all of our listeners just a brief overview of what genetics is and and what it can do yeah so genetics is um the study of inheritance and how um, the DNA that we inherit from our parents, um, how, how that influences our traits, our right. appearance, our, um, you know, some of our DNA can influence um, what we like, um, our preferences, our, our behavior. And so genetics is, is the study of, of understanding um, that, that DNA, how it how it can um, can encode for a human being, or I think when you were referring to Punnett squares, my mind goes right away to um, Gregor Mendel, who's a monk studying tea plants right. um, in Europe. And so today, um, you know, back in, in those times, they were really looking to see if we were to cross two plants. You know, what are the resulting progeny look like? Mm-hmm. Today now, um, we're looking much more at the le- molecular level at the DNA sequence. Mm-hmm. And so technology is now giving people access to the sequence, their unique DNA sequence, their unique genetic code. So, so that the, the, the can then be... Yeah, the, the, the DNA, what is that exactly? So um, in our cells, so we have about... DNA is a molecule that's made up of four bases, ACGT. It is sometimes referred to as the book of life. It's a recipe book mm. of sorts that encodes proteins um, that that do all the jobs in our cells. So our body is made up of trillions of cells. Mm-hmm. Um, and DNA helps kind of scaffold the building blocks for those cells. And it's like the instruction manual. Great. Thank you. And so now when we, we can find out um, about our, our DNA, it can tell us about our predispositions for certain diseases or why, you know, some people avoid certain diseases. Um, it can, you know, some people are very interested to learn about um, their ancestry mm-hmm. uh, from those kinds of genetic texts. But that we, we are starting to um, have more access to that information. And I'd say one of the big leaps from the Punnett squares, those Punnett squares, so a very simple inheritance pattern where you're looking at the influence of one gene on one trait. But now we know that's much more the exception than the rule Mm. and that um, people's people's traits 
say I was listening to a podcast this morning about um, genetics, talking about genetics and height, and thousands of genes, variations. So our DNA has some variations. Some we're we're very much we're like ninety nine percent. All people are ninety nine percent the same at the DNA level, but then we have these letter differences from each other that are called variations or variants, right. and and that these um, that can be thousands of variants that influence a trait like height. Hmm. And so this kind of idea of a one-to-one, it's much more complicated than that because we have, we have you know, about 25,000 genes in people and that they wow. work together in really complicated ways that we're still uncovering. And um, in addition, our traits are very much influenced by our environment. So it's really a complicated world that we're moving into to start to understand the way that our um, our unique DNA sequence interacts with our environment to make us who we are. So it's not as straightforward as we sometimes see on television uh, crime shows, right. right? Right, it is. Right, it's, it's more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. So let's let's focus a little bit on personal genetics. Um, the name of the of the initiative that you work for is the Personal Genetics Education Project. Um, so how how do genetic advances maybe impact our lives, or how will they um, how how they impact like our medical decisions in the in the near future? Mm-hmm. What are we seeing come up? Mm-hmm. So um, currently, some genetic tests are looking at how persons. Um, response to certain medications. So, for example, the pain reliever codeine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a gene that's known called CYP2D6, and some people have a version of the CYP2D6 gene where they metabolize codeine very slowly. So, codeine is a drug where codeine you take codeine, it gets con- the, your body the CYP2D6 enzyme converts mm-hmm. it into morphine, which is what gives us the pain relief effect. Some people have a version of this 2D16 that doesn't work very well. And so they actually, if they take codeine, they experience very little pain relief. Um, For other people, and actually it's really these people who need to pay attention, um, they actually convert codeine to morphine so quickly that actually they can have life-threatening effects. And so knowing which version of this gene you carry, you may you may actually be able to give that information. If you knew that, you, you would never want to take codeine if it were prescribed for you. Hmm. Right. Um, so for, um, for some people, they can find out that they be, may be at higher than average risk for breast cancer or mm. uh, colon cancer or some kinds of heart conditions. And so genetic information can, can kind of guide their ways that they screen for diseases or inform their lifestyle choices. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're moving into a world now where beyond just reading a person's DNA, it is now also possible um, to start to change DNA in the lab, with, especially with the advent of a new technology called CRISPR, um, mm-hmm. where in a very targeted way, you can change a certain segment of DNA in a person's genome. So mm-hmm. all three billion bases of our DNA is called the genome. Um, So, because the idea is that not just to be able to predict what diseases a person might be susceptible for, really what the goal of a lot of genetics research is to find treatments Mm -hmm. that are effective. Mm -hmm. That's a huge challenge. And so this idea of of CRISPR 
may be able to develop ways to treat genetic diseases at the level of the DNA. Well, that would be a, that would be huge, yeah. uh, a huge breakthrough to be able to do that. Yeah, I know we, we have a, a lab here at UNL um, in the food science and nutrition science departments that's studying nutrigenomics. Um, and so that's the, mm-hmm. the, the ways in which, you know, our bodies, ab- ab- you know, absorb and react to different foods based on our, you know, genetic coding. And it's sort of this idea, they're moving towards, you know, developing, you know, just like we might develop personalized medicine, but personalized, you know, diets um, based on, um, you know, how our genetic, how our, how our genes work. Um, it's fascinating research. They got a, a huge grant a couple of years ago, um, to do that work. Um, that's something I, I thought I wanted to do before I hit my first chemistry lab and realized <laughs> I'm, I'm better suited working with people. Um, uh, Marnie, some of our listeners have probably considered getting a direct to consumer genetic, uh, testing. Um, are there things they should be aware of uh, before making the, the purchase? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think a question to ask if somebody is interested in this information is what kind of information do they want? Some people, um, you know, there's all kinds of tests. Some can give health information. Um, some can talk about ancestry and family relationships. And some people are interested to explore kind of their family tree through DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you mentioned um, that this, the nutrigenomics, there are companies mm-hmm. who are putting tests out there. You know, some of this we're, um, is, is really in its early days. Right. Um, so we're, we're very good at reading DNA, but we're a lot earlier in being able to interpret it. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I would say is, one, you know, does the test that you're looking at give you the kind of information you're interested in? Two, you can learn more about how how reliable is that interpretation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're really at just at the very beginning. Um, so, um, so some links say between gene called like BRCA one or two, which is linked to hered- um, inherited forms of um, breast and ovarian cancer, mm-hmm. you know, can can lead, can predict, you know, that, you know, a person's risk could be as high as like 50, 60, maybe even 70% chance of developing um, breast or ovarian cancer in their lifetime. That is, is a pretty strong effect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's maybe just a few percent difference that maybe instead of a 10% risk of something, maybe it's 12%. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so thinking about that is important. Um, so some, some tests look at just certain letters in the DNA, maybe, maybe 500,000 or a million letters out of 3 billion mm-hmm. places where people are commonly different. Some sequence entire genes or even, um, huge stretches of the genome. And so they give really different information. Mm-hmm. I think that the other piece is thinking about who they're giving their DNA to and, um, what does the company do with the DNA samples? Um, do they share the data with um, with with companies? So 23andMe has announced um, partnerships with industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but some some companies um, there's a a company Family Tree DNA that has 
started to say that they would make some of their ancestry. Um, they do they do ancestry testing, and that they make their data um, searchable by law enforcement in case of serious crime. Mm. You know, for some people, they really want to be a part of that if their you know genetic information can help to um, to apprehend um, a, a criminal. Then they feel better. Some people feel uncomfortable about that and don't want to be involved. And so I think doing some homework about the company is a good idea. Marnie, let's talk a little bit uh, more specifically about um, genetic testing of of, of embryos and fetuses. Um, so how could that genetic testing be helpful to prospective parents? You mentioned earlier that you, you know, utilized some of that when you were having a child. Um, and what are the ethical issues and implications that might be raised by those those kinds of procedures? Right. There's, um, so what I was telling you about before is a kind of test called a carrier test mm-hmm. that um, can tell if my husband and I both had a variant in the same gene that, that could you know, together, if our child inherited that from each of us, that could lead to a serious genetic condition, mm-hmm. um, you know, just so that we knew that we we would have with those Punnett squares a one in four chance of having a child with a, a serious genetic disease mm-hmm. um, like Tay-Sachs or cystic fibrosis. Um, the There's also new generations of non-invasive prenatal tests mm-hmm. that are making it possible to look at um, to learn about the DNA of a fetus through um, a sample of blood mm-hmm. from pregnant person's arm, and so that can can tell um, if, especially you mentioned Down syndrome before, if if the fetus is a um, is likely to have Down syndrome, mm-hmm. can learn about that prenatally for. Some families, that's really valuable information that can help them um, plan. They can um, plan for their delivery um, or for for the kinds of care after a child is born. For for um, some people, they are not sure if, if they want to bring those that child into the world um, because they 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 are concerned. They don't um, that they they have hesitation. So whether it's um, down syndrome is something that can be screened in fetus, um, but now there's also technologies, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis um, that let you look at um, for embryos that are um, created in a petri dish in vitro fertilization or IVF mm-hmm. um, can do genetic testing on the embryo to mm-hmm. see if that embryo is. Um, they likely I mentioned Tay-Sachs before um, has a very serious genetic disease could avoid implanting embryo that could, um, that if implanted, a child could, um, you know, could be a, have a fatal disease, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even within the first couple of years of life. And so for some families, that's a way to avoid suffering. Right. Of course, um, there's huge ethical implications. Um, and, you know, there's, well, not surprisingly, people are not of one mind on right. on the use of these technologies for this idea of um, genetic selection. For some people, it is the answer they've been looking for, how they can have a child that's free of a genetic condition, um, especially for families that have been severely affected um, by that condition for generations. Uh, for, for other people, they... Um, they are deeply concerned um, about 
about how these technologies, the kinds of um, stigmatization that it could have on people with um, genetic conditions, especially mm-hmm. if you think about Down syndrome, which if there can be more stigmatization for right. people who they choose not to avoid having a child with Down syndrome. Um, or right. what, what does it say to the people who walk among us with Down syndrome and to their families about, about mm-hmm. who we value in our society? So they're hugely um, personal and, and really deep ethical questions um, about having that, that, that ability to choose. Mm-hmm. Right. I have, a, I have a friend who um, had a, a child who had Down syndrome, and um, they, uh, they chose to have the, the child. And um, uh, as the child began to grow, you know, got to be five or six years old, it, um, I was amazed at how many times they were confronted, like in the shopping, in the grocery store or, you know, walking down the street by people saying, how could you allow, how could you, knowing what we know through genetics, how could you have followed through with that birth and knowing that that child was going to have Down syndrome? It's terrible. It, it is terrible. Strangers it, in the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. so um, and that's just always stuck with me, just how, how cruel that was and really how inappropriate yeah. um, uh, because, um, you know, we had... Um, Earlier this uh, this year, we had the the episode on people with special abilities and and how we see the image of God in them, and mm-hmm. so uh, that is that is an issue, and I think it's an important uh, ethical issue. Mm-hmm. So, um, thank you uh, so much for helping us understand some of those uh, issues. There are also uh, issues, ethical issues, I believe, with genetic testing of embryos for uh, that are sort of. I would say wrong-headed or inappropriate or unethical. Um, in, so, is there anything that you'd like to add about that, Marnie, in terms of uh, preventive genetic testing, if you will? Oh, I, I'm curious to hear more about um, if you had something specific in mind when you asked that question. Well, uh, you know, uh, the, the the simplest case is testing uh, for a child's gender. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. and then aborting. Uh, say, if, uh, if if the child is going to be a girl, aborting that particular uh, fetus, and trying to have a, a boy child uh, in societies where boys are more, are socially valued more high, highly than girls in families. That's really what I was thinking about. Right. I mean, we actually our group we um, we talk with all sorts of people about about you know what is what what are the choices that that we're making and in. in Countries like China and India, these skewed birth ratios between mm-hmm. um, male and female um, children, it, it has, le- has led to um, serious social issues. Um, but there are, you know, in the United States, um, there the clinics that do pre-implantation genetic diagnosis mm-hmm. um, are allowed to test for sex chromosomes, whether XX. Um, or XY, and um, and in some cases, fertility clinics will um, allow prospective parents to use that information to make decisions about which um, which embryos to implant and which ones not to implant. Right. That um, and and that that for some people um, who have had say three girls and they really want to have a boy, that is that is something that some people have done, um, and. You know, for other people, that raises serious concerns. It's when I'm in a classroom with high school students, 
Um, one thing we talk about sometimes is, is parental expectations and, you know, what, what, what they are expecting from their child if they, if they say implant, they, they want a girl or they want a boy. What are they assuming um, or hoping for from right. that child? And, and um, you know, versus, you know, what, what reality is, like, you know, some stereotypical gender roles. Like you know, not everybody fits into those mm-hmm. into those boxes, and and so so thinking about how um, how that feeds into parental expectations. But yeah, there's no. Um, this is I think part of why we want people to be aware, so that they um, not only can make their own decisions, but also can think about um, about you know, where we are going right? Um, and how we integrate this kinds of testing um, or don't integrate it, but like mm-hmm. um, how having an opportunity to speak up and be heard and, and influence the kinds of decisions that, that the leaders in our country are making. Right. Wow. Absolutely. Thank you. That's, that's um, good. Are there other uh, social or ethical issues that you see as central to uh, the science of genetics currently or, or in the future? Yeah. Um, the major issues are access. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that especially when we think about the kinds of new, um, new therapies, you know, there's a hope for that CRISPR and kind of gene editing technologies mm-hmm. can lead to therapies in the early days that we're seeing that these kinds of genetic therapies are very expensive Mm -hmm. and so who will have access to them Um, more broadly I think about access not just to the genetic technologies themselves but access to information Mm -hmm. so that that everyone has the information to make informed choices for themselves and their family Um, I think that is such a huge issue um, for equitable um, equitable use of these technologies across all communities. Right. Is there a danger that somebody will use our genetic um, our, our genetic information uh, uh, in a way against us? For example, uh, I've read uh, articles that uh, talk about um, concern that your, your gen- genetic uh, inheritance could be used by, say, insurance companies in terms mm. of making decisions. Is, is that a real uh, threat, do you think? Is that a, a concern? Right. Actually, it's something that lawmakers anticipated a little bit with um we have a law in the united states called the genetic information non-discrimination act actually i love to talk about this law just so that more people know about it yeah i think that's important yeah so so the the short name for this law is gina and what gina does is it protects um individuals from their genetic information being used um by their employer by their health insurer um to discriminate against them. So Gina prevents employers from using genetic information to make hiring or firing decisions. And genetic information could be a genetic test. It could also be family history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you know that there's a certain um, um, say narcolepsy that runs in a family or certain kind of, certain kind of cancer, um, that an employer couldn't use that information to make hiring or firing decisions. Okay. Um, and also health insurers can't um, use genetic information or family history to decide who to cover, how much, how to set their premium. But what um, Gina does not cover everything. And so, um, first of all, the employers, I think it's employers 
It only covers employers who have over 15 employees. Um, So small employers aren't subject to those regulations. And there's other kinds of insurance. So when people, there's been some studies done looking at what people do if they find out that they have um, an inherited predisposition for Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. Any times oh, they right. run out and they buy life insurance and long-term care insurance, mm-hmm. and um, and that and so Gina doesn't cover those kinds of um, insurance. There's and and that may change um, if new laws are made. Actually, some states um, have extended um, Gina coverage. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about Nebraska, but uh, that that. It is possible. It is important. Actually, you asked me before about the direct-to-consumer genetic testing. That's one thing to think about before getting that kind of test done. Would right. you? What kinds of insurance coverage that you you have? Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you. That's really pretty. Um, you've been very informative, um, Marnie, about a number of different ethical issues. Um, I just want to congratulate you, your your program on your your website. Um, the, your program is just so incredibly busy. Um, you've developed uh, what I think are, is just incredibly great educational material for teachers in a variety of different, uh, for a variety of different age levels. And uh, this is all available on your website. Um, you've held congressional briefings on gen- genetics, uh, all sorts of topics, including uh, how our genetics might in- impact space travel, which I thought was very interesting. Um, yet, uh, in addition to all of these endeavors, your program group is also uh, interested and committed to engaging with faith communities around genetics and uh, education and and uh, d- and uh, public discourse. So. Can you tell us why it's important to you to include faith communities in, in the work that you're doing? Yeah. Um, the, the technologies in genetics are moving so fast. When PG had started, it felt like there was, there was a long time, and we looked first to schools as a way to engage a generation who's mm-hmm. going to come of age in a time when they had kind of access to genetic information that was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Right. Things yeah. have ramped up so fast, and, and you know, Re- go, working through schools is not enough, and we really wanted to engage um, with adults. Particularly, we have focused on um, communities that have been been the the hardest historically for scientists to engage with. Um, and you know, there's there's um, we, we have we have scientists don't um, have a track record of having built bridges um, to to have the trusted ear of communities and yet when we right. when we were thinking about it faith communities are a place of trust a place where people um, reflect on so Lily it's good to have you here this morning are, I'm really excited to um, be here <laughs> where humanity is going the thinking about about the future and that it seems like a natural space um, where people could think about how genetics is is you know becoming part of the fabric of our lives, mm-hmm. um, and and to debate and discuss. Also, right. I've been learning. I remember talking with you, Richard, about um, when people in pastoral care people are coming to ask questions, and right. so. 
and are looking to their their faith leaders for answers. And so it seemed like this opportunity um, to be able to work together to get information out to people. And we've, um, you know, the, we've just heard so much um, enthusiasm to ask questions without, you know, our group does not try to convince people that, um, that about the use of genetic technologies. Um, we're not trying to say, tell people what's right for them. Of course, we have no idea. Um, but just having space to have the discussions, it seems like really a, a, a natural fit with right. uh, faith communities. Right. You know, I, I think um, we like to think of faith communities as a center for public discourse on issues that affect uh, the society. And um, these are very important issues that um, I think are collided a lot by popular culture and mm-hmm. um, maybe lazy screenwriting in terms of, uh, you know, not getting the, the science right on TV. On TV. Um, but, but also, um, you know, as a pastor uh, for, for many years, um, it is true that people sometimes, uh, parishioners do sometimes come and ask for advice. Uh, uh, for ethical advice in terms of of what to do uh, with their with their their health care or with the health care of of a loved one, and so as as genetics um, become more and more um, uh, influential and and potent within the healthcare care uh, fields. Uh, then it's even more important for clergy. If you're going to offer advice, ethical advice from a spiritual perspective, you really need to know what you're talking about. Right. And um, so it's um, seminary um, curricula are already overloaded as it is. So, you know, that's not something that you're going to pick up a lot of in most seminary uh, pastoral care courses. But mm-hmm. uh, that's why uh, the work that you're doing is just so vitally, vitally important. What what have you um, what what do you would you like to do in the future in terms of the faith communities initiative for your program? Yeah, it would be it would be wonderful to meet with clergy and to be able to have these conversations so that um, so that clergy have have the resources to be able to um, to um, have both foster that that discourse within their congregations, but also to be able to answer those questions. You know, it's mm-hmm. um, there's an opportunity. So I think about how quickly the things are moving, that how to reach more communities. And I, I mm-hmm. think through clergy, there's an opportunity to grow the conversation faster. So it, it would be wonderful to, to have um, kind of a workshop. I, I hesitate to use the word training because I think we would be learning just as much from the clergy as as we would be sharing information right. um, about it- about these conversations. Well, thank you, Marnie, for your perspective, for sharing your work with the uh, Personal Genetics Education Project um, with us today on Counterbalance. That's all the time that we have, um, but we look forward to talking with you more in the future and to to learning and, and engaging with your work. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Marnie, so much for making time to uh, do this interview with us. We really appreciate it, and it's been really uh, great talking with you. Look forward to talking to you some more in the future. 
Richard, that was a really informative and uh, interesting interview that we had with Marnie. Uh, I feel like it uh, helped me understand a little bit more about what's going on in the field of genetics currently. Um, but I suspect that some of our listeners might be asking, what does this have to do with being a Christian? You know, what? why Why did you do this interview? Right. Uh, that's, that's true. Uh, we will talk about genetics and Christianity uh, some more um, in, in the time that we have left. But uh, first, we need to take a, an ID break. And um, so um, uh, we'll be doing that next. Um, yeah, and while we're on break, um, we invite you to contact us with questions or comments about this, you know, personal genetics that we just heard about. Um, there are several ways to share your thoughts. You can telephone into KZUM by calling 402-474-5086, extension 1. Uh, if you have a contribution but don't want to be on the air, um, you can call and just talk to us off the air, and then we'll share a summary of your thoughts uh, with the other listeners. Beth, our listeners can also message us with questions on Facebook by uh, just going to Counterbalance KZUM to our, our Counterbalance KZUM Facebook page, and uh, we also have a Twitter account that's at uh, CB Radio KZUM. That's right. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to Counterbalance, a weekly radio show here on KZUM. Beth, we want to uh, just give everyone uh, a shout out and thanks for those who have uh, supported our show during the, the fall pledge drive. Mm -hmm. uh, we really appreciate everybody who made pledges. And uh, again, want to just remind everybody that on our show, in addition to the swag that the station provides, we also are going to give everyone their very own special Counterbalance Radio coffee mug with coffee uh, as well. Oh, I think you've added since last week. I think last week it was just a mug. Well, uh, I thought I'd throw in some coffee there too. There you go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, our listeners, uh, the listeners throughout Lincoln did a great job at supporting KZUM during the fall fund drive. It's uh, formally over, but we have a little bit more of a gap to fill before the end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th. That's right. Um, we... Uh, uh, needed to uh, raise uh, forty thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and we. I, I'm I'm excited to say we are almost there. Yeah. Um, as of three p.m. yesterday, we have um, just uh, four thousand five hundred dollars left in order to meet our goal. And you know that's really really important that we meet this uh, forty thousand dollar goal because uh, this particular fund drive is uh, is a matching fund drive. Um, so that uh, we need to raise $40,000 for the station in order to qualify for a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Mm -hmm. So um, when you uh, put it all together, that's, you know, almost $73,000 from the, uh, from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. So it's really, really important. And it's not too late to um, make a pledge to right. our show here uh, at Counterbalance and... Uh, and get that mug, which uh, is you now know, has coffee in it. Too. Highly sought after <laughs> uh, counterbalance coffee mug. So uh, you know, if you'd like, you could uh, call in this morning mm -hmm. uh, at four zero two four seven four five zero eight six. Choose extension one, which just brings you straight into the studio, and you can still make a pledge uh, for our fund drive, or you can go to kzum.org and. Um, and uh, make your pledge online and uh, give us the credit uh, here <laughs> at Counterbalance. So uh, again, for that uh, free 
a counterbalance mug only available to people who pledge uh, during our show or in support of our show. Uh, you know, Counterbalance uh, focuses on social, ethical, spiritual, and faith issues from a progressive Christian perspective. We have named our new show uh, Counterbalance because we seek to counterbalance more, Christ- more conservative Christian perspectives. Um, and I, I'm Richard Randolph, one of your co-hosts for Counterbalance. And I'm Beth Menhusen, one of your other co-hosts for Counterbalance. Today, we're focusing on rapid advances in the science of genetics. Uh, earlier on the show, we listened to an interview with Dr. Marnie Gelbart from Harvard Medical School. Marnie is a geneticist um, and with the public uh, personal genetics education project. That's right. Um, and she provided a great overview of, of what's going on in the field of genetics today and, and kind of what it means for, for the average person. Right. That's right. Um, we're always very interested in what our listeners have to say. So if, if you have a question or a comment, please feel free to call us. Again, that number is 402-474-5086 and choose extension 1. Uh, you can also message us uh, on Facebook by just going to Counterbalance KZUM. Uh, on, that's our Facebook page. And we have a Twitter account mm-hmm. at CB Radio KZUM. That's right. Richard, uh, before the break, we were kind of, I was, I was asking the question, you know, so what? Um, we got some great information about genetics from our interview, but, but what does it all mean uh, f- for our, you know, our Christian faith? Um, so what do you think are the biggest implications uh, for, for faith and genetics? Well, I, you know, I think, um, again, it sort of divides down into ethical implications mm-hmm. uh, and also theological implications uh, for our faith. Um, as a progressive Christian, I believe that uh, God calls us, um, Jesus calls us as uh, his disciples to uh, join with uh, him in the collaborative work of establishing the reign of God here on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always say Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a sport. It's, it's a, a faith where we're called to be involved in the world, uh, serving, uh, serving uh, God and working to establish, uh, help establish God's uh, king, kingdom or reign. Uh, I like to think of ourselves as sort of junior partners in that, in that, mm-hmm. in that building process. So an important part of establishing God's, um, Rain would certainly be working on justice issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the interview, Mar- Marnie uh, mentioned a couple of things I think that are really important. So first of all, there's just the access to technology. Right. Uh, the access to these um, genetic um, pro- uh, procedures and uh, techniques that uh, are beginning to become available. Mm-hmm. You know, genetics is more than just figuring out if you're related to John Smith uh, you right. know, in terms of your, of your, your ancestry, ancestry yeah. tree. Uh, but really important work um, uh, is being done in terms of uh, medical procedures and techniques, as, as we heard from the interview. But then the question is, you know, who's going to have access right. to all of that, all of that technology? Mm-hmm. Um, right now in our society, we have, um, I think, a huge, we, we can all agree, uh, that we have a, a huge justice issue in terms of uh, just access to health, health care. Mm-hmm. And, and this folds right into that. Yeah. You know, all of these techniques are very expensive, especially after they've first been made available. Mm-hmm. And uh, so who's going to have access to that, right. that technology? Uh, if we can't find a way to make the, the access um, available to everyone, 
Uh, then there's the draconian possibility, and I'm just spinning this out as a, poss a possibility, mm -hmm. but um, as we develop uh, genetic um, procedures, um, at um, some point in the, in the process of the development of a person into an adult. Mm -hmm. So that could be um, uh, in pre utero, in yeah. utero, pre-implantation, um, uh, embryos. Um, if we can develop um, ways to enhance uh, human ability uh, through uh, our, enhance our, ourselves, uh, you know, physically, mm -hmm. create bigger, stronger, faster athletes or or smarter academics, smarter yeah. academics, or more gifted musicians. Um, and what will happen is that if not everyone has access to that, then um, you know we'll create two, really two, uh, two races of people, two, almost two two different species of of uh, of, of human persons. Mm -hmm. So that's an important uh, ethical mm -hmm. issue, I think. Yeah, I think uh, there's an example, you know, from my own life. Um, you know, my grandma has been struggling with breast cancer for for years now, and um, she's fortunate that she has a lot of access to healthcare. But um, her, the hospital that she goes to, would still be it's a still a fairly rural hospital that she seeks for treatment. Um, and there's and there's uh, procedures, genetic testing procedures that would affect the kind of cancer treatment she could get that I right. know some of our congregants here in Lincoln are getting that her little hospital in Kansas um, hasn't given to her. Um, in fact, recently, um, you know, the treatment that they were giving her wasn't working and they couldn't get the test to determine genetically if a different treatment might work. And so they just started guessing. Um, right. And they're like, oh, well, you're one, one treatment hasn't been working. So let's just see what happens if we assume that you don't have this gene. Um, and after, you know, six years of, of treatment that was kind of not really very effective, um, they're like, holy cow, this works. And her numbers went way down, which is great. But the idea that it could have happened six years ago, if she would have had access to that test in her smaller hospital um, is sort of frustrating. And, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, could be affecting everybody and could really be disproportionately affecting those who don't have health insurance or don't have the means to pay for treatment. Right. So there's two possible differences in, 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 in inequality. One would be uh, a difference, you know, in different regions, sort of rural versus yeah. urban, uh, more high-tech uh, countries versus low-tech countries. Then there's also just the individual, even if you're living in Lincoln, which has uh, really high-tech uh, hospitals, mm -hmm. Uh, and, and other medical facilities, um, if you're living in Lincoln, but you don't have access because you don't have the proper insurance or, or whatnot, that's a justice issue. Right. And that should be of concern to all, to all progressive Christians mm -hmm. and indeed to all Christians. I think uh, another important um, concern would be just access to the information about, uh, about what's happening in, in genetics. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why... I think this radio program is so important and also why what uh, Marnie is doing, uh, she's really stepped, I mean, just think about it, Marnie stepped down from the bench as a research geneticist and is now devoting this part of her career to just providing information. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you don't have access to information about what can be done, mm -hmm. uh, that, that's, that's a justice issue. Or if you have, um, if you know about genetics, but you have these misunderstandings mm -hmm. um, that uh, uh, that prevent you from really being able to understand and access 
and understand the information and understand how uh, it could or could not help you and whether you, you may or may not want to look at, at genetic um, genetic possibilities. Right now, uh, we're on the brink of genetic medicine where mm-hmm. uh, more and more people will just be treated genetically right. uh, instead of with surgery or, uh, you know, I mean, it's still a long way away, but that's, we're beginning to take those steps right. in that in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um there um, have been uh, some really good laws. Um, Marnie mentioned the the law, the, the Gina law, in her interview to protect people from discrimination mm-hmm. uh, because of of genetics. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that um, that that that's a really important law. It, it meets uh, the 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 first challenge here. Mm-hmm. But I think that we continue to need to remain vigilant about how genetic information can be used to discriminate against particular individuals. Mm-hmm. So initially, the concern was that um, an employer um, might, before they hire you, make your, your employment conditional upon doing a, a genetic test. Mm-hmm. And then they would look at, at what your um, genetic predispositions were, whether you were predisposed to... Uh, you know, early onset uh, cancer or some other disease and how that might affect their uh, group health plan. Mm-hmm. And so then they might use that as a reason to not employ you. Right. Now we have laws against that, as, as uh, Marnie mentioned in her interview. Of course, the thing that always strikes me is how do you prove it? Uh, law is not effective unless you can prove it and, and prosecute and inf- enforce it. it. Yeah. Enforce it, right. Yeah. Uh, but there are other ways in which people can be discriminated against because of of their genetics, um, and uh, we have a we have a history in this country uh, and in this world in which science has done some very unethical uh, things in terms of um, uh, in the name of progress, in the name right. of, of making a process. We have a lot of people don't know it, but we do have. Uh, everybody knows, uh, I think, about the eugenics program in Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, most people don't understand that the Germans got their uh, their ideas and sort of the inspiration for eugenics from Americans. We, right. we were already doing eugenics. We just were not doing uh, the, the, cra- the crazy... Sort of forced eugenics. Forced that, eugenics. Yeah, well, it was forced. I mean, mm-hmm. they, it was uh, not without f- uh, full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the uh, the case of the Tuskegee syphilis test, mm-hmm. where uh, Tuskegee airmen um, who had contracted uh, syphilis were not informed of that uh, and were not given the treatment, which was readily available to, to cure that, right. and allowed to just go through their lives um, without knowledge that they were carrying this disease. And of course, syphilis is, trans- is a sexually transmitted disease. So then they, uh, in turn... Um, infected uh, their, their sexual partners. And um, so um, that was, um, you know, that was so unethical. And it's uh, what's behind the full disclosure um, forms that we have to fill out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people go to the the doctor. I've been in doctor's offices and hear people complaining that they have to sign these waivers. Mm-hmm. And they, hey, those waivers were created because of missteps and really unethical behaviors by scientists in this country and, and in other countries, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seeking to, uh, for the advancement of science, but in a really uh, unethical you know, way, a, a profound way, carrying it way too far. Yeah. 
we're almost out of time, but there there are also some theological implications that I you know I think we should just mention right um, when it comes to this genetics work. Right, you know I think uh, part of it is just the we are developing abilities to uh, transform and shift our abilities as uh, human as our capabilities as humans. Um, we are developing ways uh, to become. Uh, you know, to, to enhance our, our abilities and and at the same time to eliminate defects, to be able to identify particular uh, uh, def- defects, birth defects, and to eliminate those, uh, uh, abort those pregnancies, et cetera, uh, to choose for superior traits. Um, I think we're really on the cusp of that. And so for me, that, that raises uh, some important questions. Um, one, theologically, is are we playing God? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we begin to manip- manipulate those types of things, uh, are we uh, creating a super race? Uh, will everybody be a super race, but only certain people? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, what does that do to our understanding of uh, being created in the image of God? Uh, the foundation of the Christian faith is that, uh, as well as Judaism and Islam, is that we are, are created in God's image. And that uh, that's an important thing that distinguishes from all other creation. Mm-hmm. Well, at what point does um, or or does it mean that at some point we began to um, to uh, shape and mold um, you know just even what it means to be a human person? Right. These are all really great uh, questions. We could we could talk about. Just the theological and ethical implications of our interview with Marty uh, for another hour, mm-hmm. and maybe we should do that sometime real soon. Yeah, uh, I'm afraid that that is all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Counterbalance, a progressive Christian talk show hosted by me, Beth Menhusen, and my co-host Richard Randolph. Um, today we've been discussing the advances in genetics and their implications for our Christian faith, both ethically and theologically. Be sure to tune in next uh, Saturday from nine. 10 a.m. Central Time, uh, when we'll have a new show. Uh, until then, have a great weekend, and may, your ex- and may you experience the peace of God in your life.